The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program, everyone. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Jason, actually, Jason went into the men's room about three months ago and hasn't come out yet. I think I should send Orion in to see what the heck happened to him. (laughs) Uh, We all know that's not true. But anyway, uh, welcome to the program. We're going to be talking about a uh, subject that's very, very uh, close to this program, obviously, paranormal investigating. Our guest tonight, John Olson, has written a book. Actually, he's written three books in the Stranger Bridgerland series, and the newest one is called Stranger West. And all three of the books... Uh, chronicle paranormal experiences throughout the southwest of the United States. And we're going to talk to John about uh, the um, stories that he relates, plus uh, his own personal paranormal investigating and a lot more. That will be tonight's program. Uh, Looking forward to that as well. Uh, We've got some great shows coming up just to let you know what is happening the rest of the week. Tomorrow night, Carol Obley will be with us. She's an evidential medium. She'll help us understand what spirit beings are trying to reveal to the living. Always interesting when we talk about that. Wednesday night's program, two guests. In the first hour, Dr. Kent Hovind will be with us. He's a creation science, science evangelist, and he'll give us his theories on dinosaurs, the great flood, and other biblical stories. And then in the second hour of the program on Wednesday, Kieran Woodhouse will be here. Kieran is a paranormal investigator and author of a book called An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation. He'll be breaking down ghost hunting equipment and what he believes spirits really are. And then to round out the week, Thursday night, Joe Sumple will be our guest. He's the producer of an upcoming film called Extraordinary, The Seeding, and that'll discuss reproduction experiments carried out as part of an alien hybrid breeding program. Very controversial, but also very interesting subject. For sure. Uh, Make sure you stop by our social media pages. We really want you to visit us on Facebook and give it a like at Beyond Reality Radio. Also, my personal Facebook, which is JV Johnson. You can find that sometimes easier if you just type in JVJ Paranormal and it'll come up. Give that one a like. And then swing by YouTube and subscribe to the channel. It's just JV Johnson on YouTube and it's got a a live stream of the program plus an archive of back um, episodes and great interviews like 300 of them or so. A lot of stuff there for you to find. Plus some special content. Subscribe, click the notification icon so that you get notified when we stream live or when we upload a new video. So love to have you do that. Has anybody seen these pictures floating around on uh, Facebook and other places of someone that is now being discussed as being uh, Steve Jobs? In other words, Steve Jobs, who sadly, if it's true, died of pancreatic cancer about eight years ago, has been spotted, according to some, in Egypt. And there is a photo circulating uh, about this and showing the photo. And I have seen this photo. And it is, if it is not Steve Jobs, it is a doppelganger for Steve Jobs. This gentleman, again, assuming it isn't Steve Jobs, um, is identical. I mean, the spitting image of the former uh, CEO and founder of Apple Computer. It's pretty amazing. I'm going to see if I can get Orion to find it and put it up on our Facebook page so you can see that as well. It's really, really interesting. One comment, though, on it was that if that's Steve Jobs, why is he not wearing an Apple Watch? And that's a good question. You'd think he'd have one of those. Another the other question is, if it is Steve Jobs, why would he be hiding at all? <laughs> why? I mean, if he, if he in some way, shape, or form was able to uncover and take advantage of a cure for pancreatic cancer, seems to me that that would be uh, information that he would want others to know. But we'll see. You know, conspiracy theories have been made of less. There are people that are still talking about Elvis being alive somewhere. In fact, another comment was, uh, is the gentleman next to those Steve Jobs lookalike, is that Elvis? <laughs> and it kind of looks like it could be. Anyway, um, it's interesting stuff to follow. Uh, always, always fun to see what people are thinking and saying. Again, if Orion can find that, he'll put it up on our uh, Facebook page at Beyond Reality Radio. All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll bring our guest again. We're talking about paranormal investigating tonight with John Olson. He is the author of The Stranger 
Bridgerland series of books, three books altogether, that chronicle paranormal experiences in the American Southwest. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Look out, Rochester. Scaricon is coming for you. The Northeast's leading fan convention for all things pop culture is celebrating its ninth year at the Rochester Riverside Hotel, October 18th through the 20th. Scaricon brings an amazing group of celebrities, panel discussions, film screenings, great vendors, and amazing parties. It's a weekend of fun from start to finish, and it's family-friendly. For more information, visit Scaricon.com and check us out on Facebook. Use the promo code BRR at checkout to save 20% on your admission. That's Scaricon.com, October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. Welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thank you for being with us tonight. The telephone number for your input later in the program, if you have questions or comments, is 844-687-7669. Tonight we're talking about paranormal investigating and some pretty interesting and bizarre and curious paranormal stories as told in the Stranger Bridgerland series of books by our guest tonight, John Olson. John, welcome back to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, JV, for having me back. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. What have you been up to since you were on the show last? So, again, just interviewing people, uh, getting more stories, compiling them, and, and writing this third book. It's uh, It's been a great experience. I just love to, to hear people's experiences and, and get to interview them. And when you set out to write the first Stranger Bridgerland book. Did you expect it to be a three-book series? You know, I I didn't really expect it to be a three-book series. Um, I was thinking maybe two. Uh, From all of the stories that I'd gathered over the years, I knew that I could pull at least, you know, two books together. But over time, as the books have come out, I've got to interview more people and get more experiences and and so it's kind of exploded. And honestly, I've already started working to compile stories for book four to at the very beginning of, of starting that one up. So, yeah, who knows how long it'll go. I'll, I'll keep going as, as long as I keep getting stories. And you must be, have been a bit overwhelmed. Uh, you went, started to write a book, and all of a sudden you see the flood of stories coming in, and, and you're out researching, and you're hearing stories basically everywhere you overturn a rock. Um, did you ever think there was this much paranormal and curious activity going on uh, in areas around you? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I knew there was a lot going on. I knew there was some going on. And as I, as I was growing up and over the years as I collected, I found that in the last few years, especially with uh, television shows like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventurers, um, it's, it's a little bit more mainstream, and I think people feel a lot more comfortable sharing their stories. And so people are coming, you know, from way back, stories clear back from the 60s, and coming to me and feeling more comfortable knowing that they're not alone in their ghost stories or UFO stories or whatever it is that they've experienced. They feel a lot more comfortable expressing that now. That's a real phenomenon, isn't it? Uh, somehow, somewhere along the way, whether it was the introduction of paranormal reality television, which I think had a lot to do with, do with it, or it was just a cultural shift, which may have had something to do with it. But people went from being very, very hesitant to share these experiences to being not completely open. Some people are still a little bit unsure how these stories will be received, but it's certainly not, you know, backroom talk anymore. You can actually have these conversations around the dining room, the dining room table. Yeah, that's exactly true. And, you know, I do still get a lot of people who, when I ask, you know, I'd love to put this in my book. Um, I still have a great number of them who would like their name changed or some of the details so they couldn't be tracked down. But, but for the most part, yeah, people are a lot more open and, and understanding. And like you say, the more people share, the more people out there are like, oh, well, I've had this experience. I'm not alone. You know, it's okay for me to share that. And do you find that there's any particular type of story that people may be more apt to want their identity protected versus another kind? In other words, uh, do people who have a ghost story, are they less likely to ask for that anonymity than maybe somebody who has a, an alien or UFO encounter story? So I think, as in my experience, people who have ghost stories uh, seem to be more uh, willing to, to share their name. Uh, they're less afraid of people, maybe because it's, uh, it's more prevalent. Um, it's stories with cryptids or 
you know, strange encounters, UFOs is a good one, that, that people are still a little hesitant. Um, I find Bigfoot stories are a big one where people are okay with using their name because that, that seems to be a big one as well. That seems to be more prevalent of, of stories that I gather are, are Bigfoot and UFOs. I'm just, or, I mean, sorry, ghosts. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious, and the reason I ask that question is I know there's a sensitivity to government involvement or um, interference, maybe is the better word, when someone claims to have had a UFO encounter. Uh, we've had stories where people have had those types of experiences, and then a government agent or a, an FBI guy or somebody who uh, maybe is even less identifiable than that and starts knocking on the door. Do you think people are afraid of that stuff? You know, I, I think that definitely in the past they have been. I'm, I'm hoping that maybe they're, they're opening up a little bit. I, I, I hope, I guess this would be a hope, not necessarily, I don't have anything to, to pin it on, but that we are headed towards disclosure and, and maybe that kind of thing will, will die down where there's less pressure for people to be quiet. There's, uh, you know, less pressure from the government when, when things like that happen. But, uh, yeah, I really hope that there's a time when it's a lot more open than it is now. You know, you can ask my audience um, or even just watch them in our chat room. Uh, whenever we have a serious conversation about government cover-up of UFO or alien activity, we always have some kind of technical glitch here at the station. It's pretty <laughs> interesting how that happens. And, and for a while there, I thought it was a bit of a joke, but it really does happen very consistently. So maybe we should be careful about what we're talking about. I don't know. Um, right. So the first, the first two books... Uh, the first one was Stranger Bridgerland, and the second one was Beyond Stranger Bridgerland, and the third one is called Stranger West. Um, is, is Stranger West a continuation of the first two, or do you take a different approach? You know, it's a continuation. Um, it's still the same type of stories. It is broader because as my first two books went out, I got more people from, from further away. Uh, I, I call it Stranger West because now I have stories clear from Montana and Oregon and Nevada, Wyoming, Idaho. I'm trying to remember if that's all. Oh, and Colorado. So, uh, you know, a lot of the Western United States kind of came together with this new book. And the first two uh, with the Bridgerland um, geography, if you will, or or, or identity, uh, what was the geography of that? So my first book was mostly northern Utah, where I grew up. Uh, a lot of those were stories that I had got um, after my experience of growing up in a home that was very active, and then later starting to share that story, and then it became mostly word of mouth. So it was just, you know, the, the close area of northern Utah and parts of Idaho where people were coming to me and, and giving me those experiences. And the second book... Uh, again, wider range, a little bit wider range with Beyond Stranger Bridgerland. And, and then here with the third book, even further out, um, the geography is even, even bigger. So, um, I think we have enough time for you to talk a little bit about this. We've got about three minutes before we have to go to our first break here. But um, you said that this all started for you basically as a young child because of what was going on in the home that you were living in. Share with us what was going on there. So, yeah, I, I grew up in this home, and it was over 100 years old uh, when I was growing up in it, an old farmhouse, and it had several entities in it. It still does. My parents actually still live there, and um, they continue to have experiences there. Uh, but my parents were very um, positive in the fact that we could share our experiences in the home, but we weren't allowed to share them outside of the home, um, things like footsteps, um, I one apparition that appeared to several of us, uh, a tall individual in farmer's clothes. And uh, so that really piqued my interest in the paranormal. And my inability at first to be able to share my experiences, you know, I turned to whatever I could get my hands on, uh, books from the library. Um, I remember even from when I was little, anytime... The television show In Search Of came on. It was my favorite show when I was younger. Mine too. And just, <laughs> yeah, and Mine just too. getting everything from it. And it kind of opened me up, even though I started with the experiences of, of having a ghost in my home, um, I was open to other, you know, listening to other people's stories and learning all I could about UFOs 
and Bigfoot and cryptids, and then even later on into glitches in the Matrix and things were that didn't match up in people's memory and and stuff like that. I uh, as I grew up, there were people, you know, I had friends that would come over and have experiences of their own in the house. And as they shared, you know, and we would go to parties, they would later go, oh, John lives in a haunted house. He should tell you some stories. And that's how I got started. I would share those stories. And then later on, people at those parties would come back and say, you know, I had an experience once and I feel comfortable sharing it with you because I know that you've had a similar experience. Was the rest of your family afraid? Um, you know, I don't think there was necessarily fear in it. Um, as I grew up, I know that with, I had an older sister and a younger brother, and I still do. And as we got uh, older, there was less fear um, and more just kind of curiosity. And even today with the things that go on, it's, it's a very, I would call it, trickster in the things that it does in the house. Um, and there's not necessarily fear at all uh, associated with it. it. It's almost become a, a part of the family, which sounds really weird to a lot of people. But um, we love now sharing our experiences that my parents may have. And my brother, who still lives there, uh, will have on occasion. And even visiting on occasion, uh, we will have experiences in the house. And we just really enjoy sharing those uh, amongst each other and, and with other people and like I say, it's weird for people to understand that it wasn't that it's not scary to us. It's not frightening. Well, I do want to send a shout out to good friend and one of the chat uh, moderators in our YouTube chat room, uh, Scooter, who um, is visiting a hospital. Hopefully it's a short visit, Scooter, and you'll be home healthy and ready to go again uh, soon. Hopefully as soon as tomorrow. I know how uncomfortable those hospital beds can be. Our thoughts and prayers with you, buddy. Um, again, we're talking with uh, John Olson tonight, author of the Stranger Bridgerland uh, books. His website is strangerbridgerland.com. John, you were talking about experiences in your home, and it's a home that's still in your family. Stuff is still going on there. These are the paranormal experiences that uh, really introduced you to this world, kind of trial by fire, if you will. But um, yeah. did you ever get a chance to do any investigating there? Did you ever catch any of this stuff on, whether it was audio tape, videotape, uh, still photography, anything? You know, um, it's interesting. My sister, um, how she, all of us kind of branched out into the paranormal in our own way after growing up there. I, you know, collected stories, interviewed people, wrote books. My sister had a group, a paranormal investigative group, and it it seemed that whenever you would try and investigate in the house, it would completely shut down, and, and it didn't like to give up anything, which we found really odd, especially with all of the activity that we, would, we had growing up, and even today, the experiences that my family members have had. Uh, they did gather a few um, uh, audio um, EVPs, here and there, and uh, one time I, I did an investigation there when my parents were on vacation, and we caught, you know, the sounds of things being moved on the table when we left the audio recorder. But it, it almost seems like it doesn't want to perform as it was uh, for us when, when we're asking it. It's more of a it's going to do its thing when it wants to uh, kind of a deal. Uh, one time uh, my son, I was filming my son when he was younger, because I had gotten a new video camera. We were over at Grandma and Grandpa's, and we were videotaping. And later on, when I watched it, he was talking to me as I was filming the the video recorder, and there was a voice. And so I I was able to highlight it and and enhance it. And it's actually a German voice that says in German, uh, gehen Sie aus, which is get out of the house. Go out, yeah. Over Mm -hmm. top of it, yeah, which was really creepy. But... um, but yeah, so there's been a few things here and there, definitely, that we've caught. As you uh, progressed from there and you had this curiosity of the paranormal, at some point you decided you were going to start investigating and taking it a little bit more, well, maybe not seriously, but more professionally, if you will. Um, when did that happen? When did you start investigating? You know, I started um, interviewing people and getting their stories by the time I was uh, 17, 18 years old. And uh, then later on, you know, we started, as I 
progressed with interviewing people. There were times when people would come to me and say, hey, you know, I've got something in my house. I, I need a little help. You know, what's going on? And it was at that time that I would uh, go in and, and try and help them understand what was going on and, you know, try and figure out if there was something uh, in an older home or if there was a history or um, if there was something bringing it into the house. Uh, for example, if they have a teenager who might have been, you know, messing with a Ouija board or something, something that opened up, a, uh, you know, a hole or something that brought it into the house. And whether it was just a benign spirit, somebody that was just there, you know, I, I try and explain to people that, um, you know, 99% of the time, if there is something uh, that's there, it's usually just a spirit that's passed on. And my theory is just like if you meet somebody on the street, you know, nine out of ten people are going to be pretty nice people. That tenth person might be a jerk. And it's the same kind of thing if you have a ghost in your house. You know, a lot of times a simple, you know, having them just express, you know, this is my home. What you're doing is scaring me or my children. You know, can you stop? Things like that can can often damper uh, the experiences they're having in the home for the most part, because honestly, I think a lot of times in an older home, it's somebody who's passed on and they may not even know that they are affecting the children or the people that they're living around. It's kind of interesting when I've done things like that. Let's stay on that train of thought a little bit. So is it your opinion, because I think we're all searching for these answers, but is it your opinion that uh, ghostly activity is the result of a soul or a spirit that has left the body uh, upon death, and it may be the cases where there is a activity going on um, that humans can see, that the living can still see. It's that that spirit or that soul is is trapped here. You know, I, I think it can be a combination of things. Um, in in uh, some places, for example, the house that I grew up in, there was definitely um, activity that could interact with people which would, to me, is, is a spirit that's passed on but is still there and interacting with those. Um, and then also uh, what we call um, just a, a tape recording, meaning, you know, somebody, you, you see somebody walking down a hall over and over and over again but not interacting with you, then that could be just a, a, an echo of something that's happened in the past, and it's not... Uh, it's not. I'm. I'm. I'm kind of lost for yeah. for exactly what the word is. Yeah, but. you know the uh, that whole residual concept where it's kind yeah. of like a tape recorder playing itself over and over. We I think we've all somewhat agreed that it's some kind of energy imprint. What kind of energy do you think it is? Is it a psychic energy? Is it a a spiritual energy? What, what do you think the energy is? You know, it, it, I, that's a good question. I think it is kind of like a psychic echo um, of of the past. Um, when you have somebody who go, does the same thing over and over and over again, um, it can it can leave a, an indent uh, for whatever reason in a psychic indent, and depending upon how um, how sensitive somebody might be, they might see it more frequently than others. But uh, definitely is there. It's a, a big thing too when you see people uh, who have talked about ghosts that walk down a hall and then walk through a wall only to find out later that there used to be a door there that they weren't aware of. Um, that's a good example of, of that happening. You know, some theories have recently d- discussed this whole residual concept as maybe uh, it is a blurring of dimensions. And the Ooh. fact that, um, you know, we've, we've heard more and more about uh, um, all the, this multitude of dimensions all happening, happening concurrently, but in different parts of time. So it could mm-hmm. be a dimension of the past that keeps intersecting with today. Is it, does that make any sense? Does that have any legs to you? That that could most definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a section in my books that I often, uh, I call glitches in the matrix right. and their experiences uh, that people have that don't necessarily, they wouldn't fall under a ghost or a UFO or anything like that, but it's something that, um, happened where it, they can explain it. And and a lot of times you could almost explain that as intersecting um, parallel dimensions or something of that nature that could occur when that happens. 
When you've done the investigating that you've done, I know you've done a lot of research as well, but um, have have you done it with a group, solo? How do you normally go out and look at this stuff? You know, in the past, it's mostly been just myself um, going out and interviewing people like when when I in my the course of my gathering of stories, I may come across somebody that that is is currently having an issue, and I'll go out myself and and talk to them and maybe do a, a couple sessions um, of EVPs and um, try and get a feel of what's going on. Um, right. Is it something normal? Is it just you know the water heater kicks on at a certain time <laughs> or right. you know it, it, I find really interesting just along those lines of because of certain television shows, uh, somebody will take a filming of their kids or their cat and their room is dusty. And all of a sudden they think they have orbs and ghosts in their house because it's a little dusty. And so it's kind of like an education thing. You know, what are you seeing? What are you recording? You know, Oh, well, you know, it's still Occam's razor, you know, the most, um, the, the simplest, easiest yeah. explanation mm-hmm. is often the, the, the explanation, yes. Um, and you, you mentioned the dust thing and the orbs thing. That is something that does uh, can bother me as an investigator as well. People are mm-hmm. often uh, quick to jump on some type of uh, image in a f- uh, video or even uh, a still photograph and call it an orb when, I mean, all you, all you have to do is, you know, hit anything that has a little bit of dust on it and it raises it mm-hmm. into the air and that stuff is all over any kind of picture you try to take. So those are really, really hard to accept as any kind of paranormal activity. Yeah, that one. And then the other one that I run into an awful lot too is um, uh, when you have surveillance cameras and bugs crawling on the lens. Because right, of the, yeah. That's the other one that, that yeah. drives me crazy and, and trying to explain to people. And, and some people, you know, you just have to just, okay, you know, we're, we'll have to agree to disagree because you can't, you just cannot convince them that that's what's going on. Right? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, I don't know if you caught the reboot of the of Ghost Hunters last week, um, but uh, one of the claims in the place they went to investigate was based on a video that showed what looked to be a bit of a ghostly image walking out of a door into a hallway. And uh, Grant Wilson, who's the lead of that show, um, very very quickly realized that a cobweb kind of wafting in front of the security camera could create oh, right. create that same image. And uh, you know, people don't often think about that. You know, I mean, your first thought isn't, hmm, "I wonder if that's a bug on the lens or a cobweb passing in front of it in the near you know field, which is out of focus." Uh, so you have to take those things into consideration. Yeah, you really do, and and that's one thing that I really like about. Um, ghost hunters is that that's the first thing they like to look at. They try and, you know, debunk everything uh, from the get-go. And once they're able to eliminate everything, then they're able to say, well, yeah, this is this, we can explain this. And that's the, that's definitely the, the way I like to look at things as well. Um, even when I am interviewing people and I, and I get a story from them, I like to go back and see, well, does this connect to anything um, with folklore or with um, Native American history or with the home that they're in and, and try and connect it just because it makes it, you know, a little bit more plausible, a little bit more uh, understanding for people. Um, we're going to take a break in just a minute here, but for the Stranger Br- uh, Bridgerland series of books, how many stories or uh, accounts of paranormal activity do you have in the collection? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, I know that uh, in the last book, I have. Oh, I'm trying to think exactly. Uh, so I have about 29 in the last book, and um, and that's roughly but what it is for each one. So really close to 60 with the the three books. Um, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less. But I know that I still have a lot to go through, and just it's deciding, you know especially with starting with book four, trying to decide which stories will fit best um, in, in the book. But now I yeah, know, so I, I know you can't, uh, you know, verify this a hundred percent, but are the stories reported to you as being true? Yes, they are. And, and I like to have them, you know, they're, they're first person. And I, when I interview the people, I, I like to, you know, get a feeling of, you know, are they, are they telling me the truth? Are they not? I have to make that, call on my own um 
And uh, I, I do feel like when I put it in the book, when I put the story in the book, that I believe the individual. I, I have to feel inside that, that they're telling me the truth. And, and like you say, you can't be 100%, but um, I feel very confident about the stories I get. Have you ever had a story related to you that you thought, wow, this, this person seems really sincere, and I believe this person. However, this story is so crazy, I don't think anybody else is going to believe it. Um, yeah, I do have a few of those, and I have put them in the books as well. Um, I talked, I believe the last time I was with you guys, talked to about a gentleman who ran into um, a, a, a creature that we refer to as the Pogwaji, which I always say wrong because I have a Western accent and it's an Eastern name. Pogwaji, yeah. A creature. And so that one is very out there. It's very crazy, but having interviewed the person and felt, you know, his fear when he was talking about it, whatever it was that he ran into, I know that that's what he believes he saw. So, John, when did that one come out? Um, that came out about a week ago, about also. a week ago. So it's fairly new out. Is it, is it, um, what form formats is it available in? So it's available on Amazon. All three books are in a softback and also in a Kindle form. When you were collecting stories for all three of the books, where did what was the source? Did you um, do it with people that you knew? Did you uh, put ads or social media posts looking for stories? How did you collect the stories? You know, for a long time, it was just word of mouth. Um, just the fact that I told stories and and let people know my friends and, and people that heard my stories just at parties or whatever uh, that that I interviewed people and collected stories as well uh, for a long time. Like I said, I started at 17, you know, there was no social media, there was nothing like that. And so for quite a while, it was just word of mouth and, and people getting a hold of me that way. And then as my first book came out, you know, through social media and, you know, through the contact of my website and, I always have my website and my email in my books to have people contact me. Then I got more people, you know, emailing me and, and I was able to set up and, and interview people that way. When we get into the next hour, we're going to have you share some of the stories that you include in the book. Uh, and, and actually, any of the three books would be fine um, because there's mm-hmm. a lot of really great information in there. But before we go to break here, what's um, what's the best way for people to follow your work and uh, keep up on you know whatever you happen to be doing, whether it's releasing a new book or find information about the existing books? Is it your website? Yeah, so my website, which again is strangerbridgerland.com, and then you can also look up Beyond Stranger Bridgerland on Facebook. I have a Facebook group there as well that I also release information. And there's ways to contact me through both of those. And do you still invite people to share stories with you? Yeah, of course. I'm always happy to um, interview people and gather more stories. I'm always gathering new stories. So, Did you ever have a case where you published one of the stories and then after that, you'd had had somebody contact you say, "Hey, I saw the same thing, or I experienced the exact same thing on maybe even the same night." But it was interesting because this gentleman had told me the story uh, that he had had of the triangular craft that was sucking water up through Blue Beam, and how close he was. And then before that was published, another gentleman came to me to tell me his story of a UFO. Uh, separated by about 80 miles is where the incidents happened. And by about 15 years, this, this gentleman who was camping uh, in the Utah mountains, the first guy was in um, Idaho mountains, uh, he had the exact same experience he told me about. The only difference was um, the one 15 years earlier was a round craft, your almost typical uh, round UFO. Uh, had, he had woken up in the middle of the night, and um, there was a craft about uh, less than 100 yards from his camper, and it was sucking water up through the beam. And he expressed to me the, the exact same story of waking up, the hum, seeing the water, hearing it, and then when the blue beam shut off, the water falling down into the, into the river, and then the, the craft taking off and, and disappearing. And I found that really interesting. Two people who have no connection whatsoever, having the exact same experience, which is a few different changes. Uh, like I said, one was a triangle craft, uh, 
the other one was round. Um, but I, I found that really interesting, fascinating. Do you see any specific concentration in the type of paranormal experience that people were relating to you? Is it is it heavily uh, leaning toward ghost activity, cryptid slash Bigfoot activity, or UFO, or or none of the above? You know, I think it's it's more uh, ghost stories that I get. Um, I think maybe because that's, in just my opinion, maybe more prevalent with people. Um, and then from there, probably UFO and, and Bigfoot, and then into the cryptids, and then the stranger, more uh, glitches in the matrix kind of thing. Probably in that order. Tell us a good ghost story that you included in one of the books. So in the in my latest book, I interviewed this gentleman. His name's Jared. Um, he found me after reading my first book. Uh, he had a story he wanted to tell me, and I got the chance of interviewing him. Uh, he grew up in the eastern part of Idaho in the 60s, and he grew up on a farm. He said he grew up and he hated the farm with a passion. So as soon as he turned 21, he said he he left and moved to Eugene, Oregon, and spent quite a bit of time. He said it was very different. Eugene was very much different than eastern Idaho uh, with the counterculture at the time of the 60s and everything. Uh, met a girl named Jan they fell in love with and was there about six months when his brother called him to tell him that his father had passed away. So he went back for the funeral, and at the funeral his brother, who was now in charge of the farm, asked him to stay for six months to help him get everything going and and so he could hire some people and he reluctantly agreed but in that time he didn't want to lose track of Jen so he would spend quite a bit of time driving back and forth between Eugene Oregon and back to the eastern part of Idaho and his story started uh, in October he left late from Eugene uh, heading back because he had to be back um, by Monday and it was a, a late Sunday or Saturday, I can't remember. And he got a flat tire, got, finally got that fixed, and it was really late. And he decided he was going to spend the night at a hotel. Uh, he was in a little town. He couldn't remember the name of it, but it was right near the, the Oregon-Idaho border. And he went to the front desk to see if he could get uh, a room for the night. And the young man behind the desk said, no, we're full um, there was a funeral, and there's a lot of people in town. I'm sorry. And so he's like, okay. So he turned to leave, and an older man came in and said, you know, can I help you? And he said, well, I thought you were full. I want, I needed a room. And the older gentleman shot the younger man, a, you know, a dirty look and said, he will help you, you know. And he was really confused. And the younger guy said, after the older gentleman left, he said, we have one room left. He said, but I'm working graveyard tonight. And I don't want you waking me up at 2 o'clock in the morning when you want to leave. And he said, well, no, I'm, I want to spend the whole night. And the, the young guy said, yeah, sure. And he said, what you're going to do is you're going to pay up front, and then when you leave in the middle of the night, leave the key on the front desk and don't wake me up, which he found was, like, really strange because he's like, I'm, he didn't want to argue with the guy. He said, right, okay. Right. And uh, he went to his room. Uh, he had his duffel bag, threw it on the bed, jumped in the shower. When he got out, his duffel bag had been dumped out all over his bed. And they checked the door. The door was locked. He thought that was really strange. He put everything back and threw his duffel bag in the closet, went across the street, had some dinner, came back, unlocked his room, and his duffel bag is out of the closet and dumped all over the room again. So he walks down to the front desk, and as he's approaching the front desk, the young man sees him and holds up his hand in before he even says anything, the young man says, nobody's been in your room. You're the only one with the key. And he thought that was really strange. He goes, listen, like I told you, just leave the key here when you leave in the middle of the night and, and don't wake me up. Well, he was kind of weirded out by what was going on, but he was exhausted. So he went to bed, cleaned up his room again, went to bed. And all of a sudden, he hadn't been asleep very long when the sheets were ripped off of him. And he got up and flipped the light on, and nobody was in the room, nothing. You know, he looked at the clock. It was 11 o'clock, and he was still really tired from the day. So he just picked up his, his sheets, thought it was strange, but went back to bed. He said if he wasn't so tired, he wouldn't <laughs> have probably gone back to bed. Right. Um, later on, he wakes up 
with somebody pulling on his leg. And he, he looks up, and here's a woman in a white nightgown, dark hair, um, dark set eyes, um, and what looks like blood or a wound above her, her right breast, right near her neck, and she's tugging on his leg. And he, he freaks out and flips the light on, obviously, distraught, to find absolutely nobody in the room again. And at that point, he realized, I'm done. This is, you know, this is crazy. So he throws his stuff in his duffel bag, gets dressed, goes downstairs. As he hits the lobby and puts the key down, he looks and realizes it's 2 o'clock in the morning, almost or 2.05, which was almost exactly like what the young man said, that he was going to leave in the middle of the night. Don't wake him up. Wow. And so he went out and, and slept in his car and then continued his journey, but... Uh, whatever the answer, you know, whatever it was, the ghost or whatever that was in his room, you know, it, obviously he was not the first person to experience it. And, and this young man was sick of checking people out in the middle of the night when they got scared by this ghost. So they would, he would just prefer not to rent it to anyone because he knew exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, he, he, he you know, he told the guy that he didn't have a room. And, and if the older gentleman who probably owned it, I'm not so sure, hadn't come down and, and insisted that, you know, he wouldn't have rented the room because this young man obviously knew exactly what was going to happen, that there was something in that room, and he didn't want to be bothered in the middle of the night. With, I can't with, imagine waking up with uh, this, what it appears to be someone, particularly the way that was described, a woman in white with dark hair, pulling on your leg, arm, anything, um, mm-hmm. only to have that person disappear when you turn the lights on. I mean, that's, that's an experience you don't for, soon forget. No, no. And he said he'd never had, you know, he didn't really believe in ghost stories until that point. Um, but he definitely did after that. He said, I, I took them very seriously after that when he heard uh, ghost stories. Any others that you have in the book or any of the I books? I do. Yeah. Um, so one that comes to mind um, is about a UFO in the Uinta Mountains. And just to give you a quick background, the Uinta Mountains run kind of through the middle of Utah, and uh, they're actually very notorious for Bigfoot, UFO, ghosts. Um, the Skinwalker Ranch is right there in the Uinta Mountains. So uh, just to give you an idea of, of how creepy it is, um, if you're aware at all of the Missing 411 by David Politis, one of their uh, clusters of missing people are in the Uinta Mountains. So it's, it's really, as, for, as far as Utah goes, a very creepy place. Um, uh, this story was by a gentleman named Pete. Um, he, at the time he was a student at the university of Utah in Salt Lake. Uh, it was in 1990. He was a junior, I believe at the time and him and his uh, roommates decided to go camping. So they gathered all their stuff and, and went up into the Uinta mountains for a three day camping trip. And the first two days were uneventful. They went hiking, they went fishing, they did all the kinds of, you know, fun things. And at the end of the third day, they were going to leave the next day. Um, they had just had dinner and um, had put out the campfire to go to bed. And he had just crawled into bed, um, took taking off his boots to get into the bed, when all of a sudden the entire tent just lit up like it got hit with a spotlight. Um, it was a, just a blinding light. And it kind of moved off from the tent. And he put his shoes on, and everybody ran out of their tents to see what was going on. And the light went out, um, but when their eyes adjusted, they could see just above the trees was a great big um, craft, a giant cylinder-shaped craft that was hovering and just gliding over the trees. And so they kind of all walked down to the opening. There was a, an opening outside of the trees where they could get a better look at it. And they watched it for a few minutes. And as it glided along, all of a sudden the light came back on um, from underneath the craft. And he said, you know, it was almost like a spotlight, but yet also straight. It didn't go out in a cone shape like you would normally see in a spotlight. It was more like a, a laser kind of spotlight. And it seemed to be searching the mountain and the trees as this craft silently glided across this little valley where they were camping. And they watched it for a good 10 minutes as it went along the mountain and then up over 
and he said it continually scanned the mountain like it was looking for something. But uh, what? They had no idea what it was, and it just eventually disappeared off into the mountains. But he said it was very strange and unusual. Uh, cylinder seemed to almost be silver-shaped wow. with the light from underneath it uh, glowing across its the skin of the ship. Um, but he said it was really large. Uh, I can't remember exactly how big uh, he said it was, but it was an extremely large craft. Do you, um, how far back do the stories go that you have in your collection of books? Um, so in uh, my second book, I actually have a few stories that were taken from uh, a gentleman's uh, grandfather's journal um, from the 1880s. Lived in the Bear Lake Valley, which is uh, between Utah and Wyoming. And um, in his journal, he worked up there as a uh, first as a logger, and and then later he would follow the trees and drag them down. And he had two stories where uh, at one point his job as a teenager would be to hook up the horses and go around the lake, and um, they would uh, use the lake to to float these big logs to different places, and his job was to hook into them and pull them up onto the bank. And he had just pulled two up and looked down, and there were two more logs, and he's like, I, how did I miss those? And when he got down to the, he hooked up the horses and got back down there, they weren't logs at all. They were great big fish that were like nine feet long, and they just kind of rolled over and disappeared into the lake. And he had also seen a, a UFO that he wrote in his journal uh, in the uh, 1890s when he was up logging in the mountains uh, of Utah had witnessed the UFO. So that's probably the furthest back. Um, and I consider those first person because they came from his journal. Right. Have you, know? you noticed any um, maybe uh, concentration of activity during any given years? Um, you know, we seem to have had a kind of a cryptid explosion in the 70s, and then it seemed to go quiet for a while. And I almost think mm-hmm. we're having that again. But have you noticed any of those patterns? You know, I, not necessarily in, in time-wise, but I, did, I have noticed that, uh, especially when it comes to Sasquatch and Bigfoot stories, uh, there is a certain area not far from me that seems to be a concentration of uh, Bigfoot sightings. And these are from people who don't necessarily, they don't know each other or have shared the stories uh, between each other, but they all seem to be within, uh, I would say, a seven-mile radius of um, where they've seen these Bigfoot and Sasquatch. Uh, Mm. So maybe not necessarily time, but definitely in area. Right. You said, John, there's uh, probably more books in, uh, in the works for this series. Yeah, I I know there's at least one more because I started working on it already. Um, And like I said, I really hope I'll I'll just keep going as long as I can gather stories and and interview people. Do you think you're going to continue to expand the geography that you're covering with the stories? Yeah, I think I am because I've already uh, gathered a few stories from further out than the western United States. And so, yeah, I think it'll definitely keep growing. We need to hear a good Sasquatch story. What what do, what do you have in the book, or one of the books? So, um, yeah, one I have. It's called Sasquatch in the Wind Rivers. And uh, the Wind Rivers are a uh, mountain chain in Wyoming. And this story was by John. I actually worked with John for a while. And when he heard that uh, this was what I also did, um, he said, oh, I've got a story for you that happened to me. I've, I've got to tell you. So I sat down and interviewed him. When he was younger, in his early 20s, he uh, would love to go to the Wind Rivers and spend you know weeks alone up there camping and, and fishing and, and just spending a lot of time in the Wind Rivers. And he told me one time he was up there all alone, which, and, and honestly, I, I'm personally afraid to camp alone, not just because of the paranormal, but because of, you know, all different kinds of reasons, but he was brave enough to do it on his own. Uh, he said he woke about uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he said, at first it was really still. He could tell it was really still, and then he started hearing a heavy thump, thump, thump. 
And he's like, well, it's obviously a creature or a, an animal. And then as it got closer and coming down towards his camp, he realized it's on two feet, uh, the sound. And it's really a heavy creature. And he said it was almost a full moon, so it was very, fairly bright. He was in his tent, and the creature ran down and then stopped in his camp. And he's all alone up there, and he was very frightened. Um, he could see the outline as the creature walked into camp, and uh, it was really large, tall, um, and the outline, you could tell, was extremely hairy uh, from the shadow from behind him on his tent. And it seemed to look around the camp for a little while, and then it walked over to the tent, and it placed its hand on the outside of the tent and pushed a little bit. And he said he could see just this enormous uh, hand uh, with hair around it. And um, he said it was easily, you know, almost a a foot, if not more, across this hand. And then it felt along his tent. Um, He could hear it breathing as it walked around his camp. And then it uh, all of a sudden just took off and started running again down the trail. And he listened of the pounding of his feet until it completely disappeared. And he sat quiet in his tent for a while and then slowly you know, the sounds of, of the forest came back with the the bugs and everything else, and he wasn't able to sleep that night, um, the rest of that night, and he said he did finally pack up and leave, decide to leave that day because he just didn't like the idea of being up there with this large creature all alone. That's unnerving. Um, it's it's tough enough yeah. just to hear strange noises in the woods, <laughs> but when you start yeah. start experiencing something like that, it's a whole different kind of fear. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And and you know what was interesting uh, talking to him after you know the many years that it happened, um, his his feeling went from being you know he was afraid in the moment, but he really felt kind of blessed to have had that experience. Um, he knows, you know, there's a lot of people that go looking for Sasquatch and never right. find it. And he had this opportunity to be in its presence, he said. So. What about um, an, another kind of a cryptid? Uh, any dogman or werewolf or wolfman type uh, encounters from the stories that you gathered? You know, I, I haven't uh, heard any um, uh, werewolf or your wolfman kind of story is uh, in this part of the country. Right. I know that does happen quite a bit in uh, Wisconsin and the northern part of that area. Um, I did interview an individual who uh, he was, he lived in Nevada, and him and his girlfriend had gone into the mountains uh, camping, and he was not a camper. He'd never been camping before, but his girlfriend had grown up camping, and he decided to take her. And uh, the whole time he was out there in the evening, he just had a creepy feeling, but he just attributed that to the fact that he was not an outdoorsman. He hadn't camped before. And in the middle of the night, he had something walk into camp, and it woke him up. And it seemed like it was drag, you know, it was dragging a foot, walking, and a raspy, deep, you know, guttural um, breathing. And as he went to reach for his flashlight, he he knocked something over, and the creature stopped breathing and seemed to run off. And he got the flashlight on and opened the the tent and started shining the light around. And about 30 feet from the camp, facing away from him with one hand on the tree, was this pale person. He said it looked like a, like a zombie, basically. Pale skin. Uh, he could see every bone in its back and its arms, not wearing any clothes. His first thought it was that it was a homeless person, and he yelled out, you know, hey, what are you doing? And this creature turned over its shoulder, his head over its shoulder, and looked at him, and he said it had deep, sunk black eyes, and its lips were pulled back from black teeth. Oof. And he freaked out. He just, he woke his girlfriend up. She saw the creature. Um, They just threw everything in the car and took off, uh, breaking the tent and everything, missing a bunch of things. But 
later on, after he told me the story and, and they spent the night in the car out in the wilderness because they couldn't find their way back to the main road until light, just afraid to death. Um, but doing my research of what he saw, I believe what he saw was a windigo, which is a Native American uh, creature, spirit, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that is created when someone turns to cannibalism for whatever reason. Uh, in the Native American belief, that is when it's, this kind of creature is created through the person who who had to turn to cannibalism. They're forced to wander, never being full, never being able to you know sustain themselves. And and uh, I found that one a really creepy story when he was telling me that. Obviously, um, since you're on the third of this book series, uh, people are interested in hearing about these stories and reading about these stories. What is it with our fascination with this stuff? I mean, we, we almost, almost all of us have it. We have this curiosity and this fascination with ghost stories or uh, Bigfoot sightings. What is it? Where does that come from? You know, I think it's just our, our, our need for mystery that we, we love to have mystery in our lives or in the world or, it's kind of the same thing with, you know, kids who and adults who love Harry Potter or Star Wars or something of that nature because they love the unknown, they love sci-fi, they love, you know, the idea that that there's more out there in the world. That's just my personal belief uh, is that we're always grasping for more and and ghosts and Bigfoot and all of these things. Um, they keep us driving towards finding the truth, and um, and that's that's kind of how I am. I'm always striving for the truth. Another story, it's an, another you know adventure kind of thing. When you are screening basically these reports and these stories to determine whether or not you're going to include them in one of your books, uh, is there mm-hmm. a certain type of criteria that you use to weed some out from others? Uh, first of all, does does the uh, origin of the story have to be first person and uh, what other type of criteria do you use? Yeah, I usually do first person. Um, I do generally avoid things like um, uh, Ouija boards or demonic and that's just my own personal feeling on it. Uh, Just I I don't know exactly how to put it but um, I, I just like to avoid that part of it even though that that is definitely part of the paranormal. Um, so I kind of weed out a little bit on that. I don't like to encourage people to use Ouija boards or, you know, do anything like that. The other thing that I kind of I try to avoid is I have a section of stories that I would really like to put in a book. Um, they deal with um, Native American um, places, including not far from where I live, it was the Bear River Massacre, which was one of the biggest massacres of Native American people in our history. And I have quite a few stories from people who have experienced things there, but I, I want to make sure that I do that and I present that in a respectful way. And I, I haven't quite found a way to do that yet, but I hope to do that because they're such great stories uh, to share but I want to make sure that they're done in the right way. Do you find that you get different types of stories if you are getting them from a Native American source? Uh, they have a whole different spirituality and, and a different um, set of beliefs in many cases. Do those? Does it make the stories any different? Um, it, yeah, it does when I, when I am able to get them. The one thing definitely about uh, the Native American culture is that they do not like to talk um, openly about things like that, because it is so spiritual. Um, they also don't like to talk about, you know, maybe the bad side of the paranormal because they feel like speaking about it will bring that to you. So um, you have to really be able to be respectful and and be understanding just to get them to talk to you, let alone get their okay to share the story. Um, that's, that's actually been really hard for me um, to, to find... Um, people of Native American descent that's willing to share their stories because they have a lot of great stories. 
if you were giving someone advice uh, who has a any kind of paranormal experience, uh, do you what would you tell them to do in order to be able to uh, better retell that story down the road and uh, maybe make it into a book uh, that you're writing in the future? You know, uh, just write down details is what I would say. First of all, realize that you're not alone. Um, a lot of people have these experiences. Um, you're definitely not alone. Uh, even if you think it's the strangest thing you've ever heard in your entire life, I guarantee that um, somebody has had a stranger experience than you have. Um, write down and, and make sure you jot down uh, all of the details that you can. Um, like I, I like to say, the devil is in the details. Um, to, to flesh it out, to make it um, a presentable story so that people can relate to you, uh, not just from the area of the paranormal, but that, you know, I'm a real person, you know, I do have a job, I'm normal, but I've had this experience, and it really affected me uh, through my life. And, and, and how that affected you, that's a good, good thing to um, mention as well. Okay, so if someone has a story they want to share with you, I know you mentioned um, contact information through the website, but once again, give it to people so that if they want to reach out, share a story with you, they can do it. So, yeah, you can go to strangerbridgerland.com, and on there there's a place to, um, to uh, connect with me, and then I will get back with you. Um, I, I ask people to be very patient with me. I have a, a lot that I'm going through right now, um, and if you don't hear back from me immediately, it's not because I'm not interested. I just have a lot that I'm going through at the moment. Um, you can also direct email me at olsonj243 at gmail.com. And those are the two best ways to get a hold of me if you have a story or you have something you want to talk about with me. So the new book is available with the with the other books as well on Amazon. Plus, we have links on the Beyond Reality Radio sites as well to those books. And uh, I hate to even ask this question because Stranger West is brand new. But uh, do you have a target date for the next book? Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking about a year out. And that's what I've been able to do with the last books is it takes about a year with everything. So that's what I'm shooting for is um, August of 2020. I don't have a title yet for it, but that's what I'm shooting for. Great. Hey, John, good luck with the book. Uh, Keep collecting those great stories. We look forward to having you back when the next book comes out. Thanks so much for having me on. I love it. It, It's been a great time, Jamie. Thank you. You know, there are certain things that you just can't help to do. They're almost involuntary responses, and one of those things is clapping in that song when that, uh, I don't know, that part of the song, you know, that, that four-clap thing yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Again, thanks to John Olson for being here with us tonight and talking about his books and the paranormal experiences that he chronicles in them. We've got some great shows coming up as well. Tomorrow night, Carol Obley will be with us. Carol's an evidential medium. She'll help us understand what spirit beings are trying to reveal to the living. We often talk about this when we bring mediums onto the program and uh, there seems to be a bit of a unifying message among them, so um, it'll be interesting to see what Carol has to say. Has she been on the program before? She hasn't. Yeah. Um, but, you know, her, her big thing is that spirits uh, of our, usually of our loved ones, are, have mes- messages that they want to relate to us. Um, and they're trying to do it the best way they can, so she's helping to interpret those. And uh, Wednesday night, we've got two guests, one in each hour. In the first hour, Dr. Kent... Hovend will be with us. He's a creation science evangelist. He'll be giving us his theories on dinosaurs, the Great Flood, and other biblical stories. That's that word I always have trouble with. (laughs) And in the second hour of the show, Kieran Woodhouse will be here, a paranormal investigator and author of a book called An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation. He'll be breaking down ghost hunting equipment and what he believes spirits really are. So we've got a great week of shows coming up. Um, I also want to make sure that you do swing by Facebook and like our social media. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Follow us there. You'll get updates on guests and other things we have going on. And also subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's just JV Johnson. It's very easy to search on YouTube. And you'll get uh, notifications if you hit the notification icon of live streams of the program. Plus, there's a great archive of back episodes there. Great way to go back and find some of your favorite uh, interviews, like 300 Mm -hmm. shows, something Mm -hmm. like that. Right, Right? Yeah. Something like that. 
You know, and on, on Facebook, there's quite a bit of uh, discussion about that Steve Jobs thing you mentioned at the beginning of the show. People right. are people don't think it's it's quite the dead ringer. Uh, really? I thought. It was, I mean, obviously, the the shot that I saw was a profile. Well, there's a conversation going on about it, and uh, somebody. Well, I posted another one of uh, a side by side. But anyway, mm-hmm. join the conversation. And that's right on the Beyond Reality Radio Facebook page. All right, that's going to do it for tonight. We've got another great show for you tomorrow. We'll look forward to seeing you then. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Have a great night. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at J.V.J. Paranormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.